invite you to think about a time you laughed recently. What was the quality of that laughter or the emotion behind it? Was it out of joy? Was it watching something hilarious? Was it a protective laughter after hearing something that made you uncomfortable? Or a nervous laughter? Reading the scripture that we heard this morning led me to reflect on all the various forms of laughter in life. For instance, Sometimes I find myself laughing in moments where I'm not sure what else to do. Or when the irony of a situation makes it almost laughable. I think of times backpacking when one thing after another has gone wrong. We forgot the stakes or the tent. Then a mouse keeps us up all night running outside of our tent. And then we wake to pouring rain. There gets a point in scenarios like this that it simply becomes laughable. And I'm sure we each have these stories of times we've laughed in situations that feel impossible. Maybe it's to soothe ourselves, or maybe sometimes laughter comes out instead of tears. Sarah's laughter in this story reminds me of those moments. And yet, by the end of the text, her laughter has been transformed. Her first laugh is one of pain, possibly a cynical, disbelieving laugh. And maybe it's a protective laugh. Yet by the end of the story, her laughter has been transformed into joy as she holds her son, whose name means laughter. And between these two laughs, her painful, maybe cynical laugh, and her joyful laughing with, between these two, God's mysterious action is present. And God's question lingers. Is anything too extraordinary for God to do? I don't always come up with titles for my sermons, but this time... I had a title before I had even written all the words. And the title that came to me was this. Laughter, Longing, and the Confounding Mystery of God. This story is full of all of these. A weaving of laughter and longing, all mixed in with the confounding mystery of God. Sarah has been living with longing for a while. Years have passed since God made that promise to Abraham that he would be the father of all the nations and that together their offspring would number the stars. And yet now they are very old and Sarah is past menopause with no child of her own. And the area she longed for the most is an area in life that one simply cannot control or plan, getting pregnant. 
As I'm sure many people in this room could tell you, trying to conceive is not something you can control. And in that time and culture, giving birth to a son was a primary role and status for women. To be without a child, or more specifically a male child, was a mark of great shame in ancient cultures. And I realize this sounds very patriarchal, and it was and it is, but I invite us, including myself, to take off the critical lens for a moment and seek to not put our culture into this story. However, I do want to pause for a moment and be crystal clear that having children does not define the value of anyone and that being a parent and being a family can take on so many beautiful and wonderful forms. Now back to Sarah's longing. There were layers to her longing because of the culture she lived in and because of this promise of God that has been lingering. And while Sarah was longing for this, she didn't just wait around for 90 years, simply trusting and hoping and praying that God would give her a son. She got involved in her dream and in her longing. She decided to take things into her own hands. And that is the story of Sarah and Hagar, of Sarah telling her husband to have a child with her servant Hagar as a solution for him to have a son. The story of her actions towards Hagar are part of Sarah's whole messy and beautiful story. And even though that wasn't a part of our text this morning, it feels so central to the arc of Sarah's life that to leave it out feels like ignoring both a part of who Sarah is and a part of God's actions in this story. Because just like our own messy and beautiful lives, Sarah's story is not as clear as waiting and trusting for years and years. Now it is a very uncomfortable part of her story and it's messy and there is so much to unpack. But since it's not the text for today, I will restrain myself and leave it at this. Sarah tried to take control of the situation. She used what power she had, and when she couldn't get pregnant, she sought other options. And as I was working on this sermon, I read an essay called My Sister Sarah on Being a Woman in the First World by Beth Lemuel Tanner. And as Beth is talking about Sarah and Hagar, she poses a question to Sarah that I'm struck by. And the question is this. Did you think that you were helping God out by taking matters into your own hands before it was too late? Or did you believe that God had forsaken you and the promise of children as numerous as the stars? Because then, after Ishmael is born, God comes to Abraham as three strangers walking down the road and says, in a year from now, Sarah will have a child. Sarah hears this, and she laughs. 
And when I first read this, I thought, it makes so much sense that she laughs. She has been longing for this, and at her age has most likely given up all hope. I read her laughter as a protective laughter. Uh, yeah, right, don't get my hopes up again. It's that first laugh, that painful, cynical laugh. It's the laughter at the absurdity of the situation. And maybe a laughter at the irony. At her own attempt to take the situation into her own hands, which in turn led to the pain for another. And now, after all of this, God is saying she will have a child. And even in the twists and turns of Sarah's longing and actions, God doesn't respond to Sarah's laughter in a punishing tone or rebuking her. When she laughs, God says, is anything too extraordinary for God to do? I hear this in a tender tone. Although even with the tenderness, I struggled with this line for a while. There are so many parts of our lives where we long for God to act, and it seems that God doesn't. Where is God in our longing and in our pain? Where was God in Sarah's longing for those many years? And what about the times we don't see the extraordinary acts of God? And as I was talking to a friend about my struggle with this line, she pointed out that maybe God isn't saying to Sarah, don't lose faith. But actually, maybe God is saying, don't forget to hope. Don't you know that I am present with you, even when things don't go as planned? Maybe God is referencing the messiness of Sarah's life, alluding to the question, did you think that you were helping God out by taking matters into your own hands before it was too late? Or did you believe that God had forsaken you and the promise of children as numerous as the stars? And God is telling Sarah, I have not forgotten. I was present. There is still hope. All of this leads me to think about what I want birthed in my own life and the longings that we each hold and mixed in all of that, the confounding mystery of God in this story. Why wait so long to tell Sarah she will have a child? Why does God act so clearly in some situations, and in others it feels God is missing completely? It makes me think of a practice in the Jewish tradition to not speak the name of God aloud, or to even fully spell it out. And one of the reasons for this is the acknowledgement that we can never know all of who God is. Because naming implies a knowing. And to not speak a name leaves room for that mystery, the unknown aspect of God. But it can be uncomfortable to hold our hopes in such a mysterious God. 
that to me, the mystery and God's actions in this story and the exclamation that nothing is too extraordinary for God feels like an invitation to hold to that hope. Remembering that God is with us in our longings and God does show up. Just not always in the ways that we expect or may notice. And this resonates with me because I quite honestly, I'm not sure how to hold all of the pain in this world and in our own individual lives without the hope that God is somehow present. Holding to trust that God is moving even if we can't see how. And even if that movement is happening in ways we don't expect. Right before the sermon, we sang Longing for Light, which Michael didn't know, but it's one of my favorite hymns. And because it speaks to this longing in life, the wondering of where are you, God, as we wait in the darkness. And yet, the hymn doesn't leave us in this darkness. It proclaims that there is hope that Christ is present, shining through the darkness, shining here in this church gathered today. Sarah waited, longing, for 90 years, and her protective, painful laughter was transformed into a laughter of joy. Joy even if it was a long and winding road to get there. It was a laughter of inviting others to join with her in laughing. And this, to me, is the confounding mystery of God's actions. Where are the areas in your life that you long for God to show up? Where your painful, cynical, protective laughter might be transformed into a laughing wit, a joyful laughter. How might we notice the confounding mystery of God in our lives in the midst of our laughter and our longings? May we, in all of our longings, not lose hope but remember that laughter filled with disbelief and pain can be transformed. Maybe in a way that is unexpected, mysterious, and yet filled with grace. For is anything too extraordinary for God?